Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are back here Saturdays, noon, every week, to defend and promote public education. As we like to tell you, that is education that is public in purpose and outcome. It's also, and above all, public in access. It's accessible to all children, all teachers, all parents, all cleaners with no exceptions. It's non-discriminatory, in other words. It should be public in ownership and control, and it should be the only one, as far as the dogs are concerned, that has public money spent on it. Now, we know a lot of those things are not true, and we believe very firmly about the public um, money being spent on it because it is only public schools that are publicly accountable. So we oppose state aid to private schools. That's us. Now we've got a really interesting program, we hope, this afternoon. And if you last the distance at the very end towards our great state school, we've got something really, really special. So uh, stick with us and um, you'll have, I hope, a, a nice surprise. But we're going off to America and England as well. Unfortunately, our brave Prime Minister thinks that we are the 51st state of America. And since more and more we seem to be making the same mistakes that the United States makes after it and we get involved in their mistakes, we thought that we had better inform you about one of the very big mistakes that is happening in education and tell you about the people in America. One man in particular, Jeff Bryant, as well as Diane Ravitch, who are fighting for public education against the privatisation. Uh, here in Australia, we've seen privatisation, which um, emphasises religious so-called charities. But in America, they now have for-profit uh, education. In other words, education is a market. We see it. Uh, a great deal with the international students industry and aren't the universities and private schools screaming that we'd be open to international students again for this industry which brings in billions, they say, but uh, nobody really starts to think about the implications this all has for our own children and the public good and the next generation. So we like to inform you about what could be around the corner. But there have been some wins over in the United States and we would like to tell you about those too. As well as that, we all know that at the moment in Australia, it's a very turbulent time for teaching and we'll be telling you what the New South Wales Teachers Federation has to say. Uh, and then we'll also talk about the expensive truth about private schools and student learning. It is a very sad fact of life that a lot of parents in Australia think that they can buy special things for their children in private schools. But again and again, it's been proved that they are wasting their money. But uh, without more ado, I'm going to pass you over to Dale, who's got press release 907, Privatisation of Education Leads Setbacks in the United States. Over to you, Dale. 
Thank you, Jean. Yes, this is press release 907, and you can find all of these press releases at the DOGS website, which is www.adogs.info. But on with the press release. American public education, like its Australian counterpart, has been under siege from capitalism run rampant in the form of privatisation. In America, however, for-profit as well as not-for-profit religious schools are aggressively undermining the public sector. The charter school movement in particular has sought to make education into a money-making exercise at taxpayers' expense. But promoters of public educated education are fighting back. In the last few weeks, however, a number of developments have set the privatisers back a little. Firstly, according to Jeff Bryant, a writing fellow and chief correspondent for Our School, a public school action group in the US, charter school industry lobbyists appear to have lost a fight in the US House of Representatives over an appropriations bill. The bill cuts federal funding to charter schools operated by for-profit businesses. But lobbyists are now rolling out a campaign to defend their taxpayer revenues in the US Senate. However, a, however, federal lawmakers may wish to consider new evidence of how for-profit charter enterprises introduce potential harms into public education. A recent post by Jeff Bryant presents a case study of charter school investors overtly grifting, as opposed to the usual slower motion version of cherry-picking students via any excuse to expel ones that look difficult to educate. Even with that over time selection advantage, large-scale studies have shown that charter school students do not outperform their public school peers. And the dogs refer you to an article by Jeff Bryant and you can search for it, for-profit charter schools provide an entryway for private investors to exploit public education. Secondly, meanwhile, Diane Ravitch on her blog reports that in Oakland, a group called Oakland Not For Sale, ONFS, formed to fight privatisation, have just won a major settlement. For many years, the Oakland public schools have been a plaything for billionaire privatisers and a succession of broadie superintendents. They plan to use the money to fund further battles to save public schools from closure and privatisation. And you can find out more on Diane Ravitch's blog, Oakland activists win six-figure settlement. And we'll be telling people more about this a bit later in the program too. The times of plague have exposed the extraordinary levels of education inequality in both the United States and Australia. An uneducated citizenry is fair game for right-wing activists and conspiracy theorists, as we have seen in both democracies. So it's heartening when groups get together to fight the encroachments of those lusting after profits and power upon our public systems of education. Back to you, Jean. Well, many thanks, Dale. So we'll have a little bit of a break and then we're going to hear another voice, new voice with 3CR, Jeff. Jeff is going to tell us about the Jeff Bryant article and what is happening with the grifting. Uh, of the charter school movements in, uh, in the United States. Kafiyas are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafia to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Well, you're listening to the Dogs Program and we've now got Jeff who's going to fill us in 
on what is really going on with the charter school movement over in the United States. Over to you, Jeff. Hello, listeners. Uh, well, the United States is an interesting place and it has uh, a history of in what they call enlightened philanthropy, which is there's a, a social strata, which in absence of a noble uh, nobility sort of class, the Americans like to, like to um, embolden them, you know, to uh, uh, decorate themselves with uh, laudits from philan- as philanthropists. It's so, like forest at the moment. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a competition between them. You're seeing it at the moment between the billionaires going into space. Well, this is, it's, it's a competition between billionaires to see who can be publicly laudited as much as they can. So this has been going on for quite a long time, uh, but most especially since the, the underfunding of uh, public school system in America has really led to gross inequities and, um, and, and serious social consequences of, uh, in, right across the United States, but particularly in urban areas, uh, so-called urban areas, which is a euphemism for areas which are, uh, suffer from poverty and suffer from um, uh, high levels of crime and recidivism and uh, the sorts of negative social outcomes that philanthropists can point to and say, look, I can fix that. So uh, a number of these competitive billionaires, uh, notably uh, Bill and Melinda Gates, um, the Walton family who own the Walmart stores, um, Michael Bloomberg in particular, especially because he was running for president, he thought that supporting the charter school system would help him get elected uh, as the uh, Democratic candidate. But most particularly these days, the Eli Broad or Brood uh, Foundation, uh, Eli and Edith, his wife, uh, a foundation. Now, a little bit of background on these Broodies or Broadies are. Um, He's, a, he's a, a billionaire who decided to make good, repay his own public education. Uh, he was educated, I say was, he died in April this year at the age of 88. Now, Brood had grown up in the Bronx, contrary to some of the articles online. Uh, he'd gone to public pr- uh, pr- uh, junior school or, or, or primary school, and then a public uh, high school. And he ended up going to get educated as, a, as a, an accountant um, at one of the better universities. Uh, he made his money in real estate in Detroit. And uh, m- many, many years later, he was worth around about $6.7 billion. So he had money to give and he threw it in all directions, med- medicine, many other things. One of the things he did was to set up the Broad Institute in Cambridge, in Massachusetts, but also more particularly for education, he set up localised broad institutes, which were specifically targeting uh, uh, developing superintendents who he would train in corporate thinking as a way to improve public education, thus providing himself some laurels. So around America and several places, places like New Orleans and um, and mo- most particular to this story in Oakland, in California, he set up, uh, or in California, in Los Angeles, he set up a broad institute. And his idea was to take the, the minds of corporate people, give corporate thinkers access to the education world, and they will fix it. Um, so he... he uh, but, the, but the assumption here is that education is a charity, not a right. Yeah, well, this is, again, to do with the enlightened philanthropy mindset of um, providing your family with laudits because you are uh, are supporting the poor, you know, doing good works. So the the motivations... Totally. The (laughs) motivations aren't necessarily all corporate greed. These are very wealthy people, um, but the motivations can be questioned, but it gets down to a, a, a more granular level. So... This broad base, there was hundreds of millions of dollars put out there by these various philanthropists, but broad in particular. And he started these schools who trained, uh, well, I say trained, they come out with a a master's of education, um, which is 
has some accreditation with some institutions and others tend to treat it as questionable sort of a qualification. So these people, they come, their backgrounds are not necessarily education. There was a snapshot of this back in 2011 when uh, they looked at the backgrounds of the broad education supervisors. Uh, 71 were from, had an education background, 25 had some education background, two were from government, two were from higher education, 24 were from the military, uh, 10 were from the private sector and five were from the social sector. But more broadly, this has grown into a corporatizing of, uh, of so-called supervisors. They're taught to, they all come out with an attitude of hostility to teachers and they tend to, um, I'll, come, I'll come to that. So what they have done, they've trained a, a bunch of people who look good on paper. When, you, when you're trying to hire someone to be a superintendent, to look after a district of schools in the United States, they employ someone and that someone has got a, a master's of education. Well, that looks good, you know, in the background of the military. Oh, that looks good. And they're going to bring some new thinking. Oh, well, that looks good because we're trying to fix the system. So they have ingratiated and in, in, inveigled their way into, uh, the, uh, into being hired by the state as superintendents of education districts. Uh, and often they come in and they change things with alacrity. They, um, they, they tend to want to destroy the existing ways of doing things. They tend to want to fight uh, to reduce the teacher's um, conditions and that sort of thing. Um, they cut parents out of the decision-making process and introduce unproven reform measures, basically ad hoc as they see fit, sort of. It's getting worse than this now, isn't it? It is. It's no longer philanthropic. They're no. becoming, they're becoming uh, like we've seen in Australia with privatisation, money-making exercises. Well, this, this as you is have gets... with the privatisation of prisons and of our roads and of our, um, our energy. Well, here's the, the, here's education the... is becoming privatised. That's right. Here's where some of the distortions started to creep in was that um, back in 2004, I think it was, uh, Broad in introduced a prize amongst uh, public schools as to who would have the best figures. The equivalent of their NAPLAN uh, judgments would be judged each of these schools. The more that they improved, the, the, they could win a prizes, uh, you know, $500,000 $500, towards you know, scholarships to their students, that sort of thing. And the schools themselves would be rewarded. They were, Broad was disappointed because he poured money into some of the public schools or what they call hybrid schools, public charter and that sort of thing, uh, public schools who, who would took, take the money, but their education results didn't seem to improve much. Uh, so more and more, he, he stopped that in 2014 and he poured money into instead uh, charter schools only, essentially. And so they would go into an area and a public school uh, would be in the area, but a charter school would be there and he would, they would focus on improving the results in that charter school. So the charter school system in, under them, right across the United States, would be competing for who improved the most. So what they would do is they would let go the students with the greatest challenges, those who weren't going to contribute to the reputation of the school. And these school, these challenged students, as they're called, would then end up in the public system and it's like a, a negative selection process where you're you're rejecting uh, those who aren't liable to make your school look better and thus get you paid better because the schools who had the best results, the teachers would be getting up to $100,000 a year. And there was a huge financial incentive for them to, um, you know, encourage people to shop for the right education. They would pick... Uh, become more and more selective. So these aren't really doing the, the stated aims of these these people, but they're competing with each other to get the best results. And they're very but much. But it's getting worse than that now, isn't it? It's oh, now yes. it's now involving um, international money coming in to make money out of the taxpayers of of America. For example, Jeff Bryant is mm -hmm. telling us about this story of well, the, the charter school shopping spree connection. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, Paco. Would you uh, like to tell us about that? Well, I can read his part of the article if you'd like yes. to. Yeah, that's um, so good this is this is uh, from uh, Brian's article, uh, as mentioned. Uh, a charter school shopping spree. So initially, Packard and Pansophic Learning, uh, which I uh, gather are, are um, uh, part of the uh, corporate corporatized system, kept a low profile until in 2016, a visit by then Republican Senate nominate Donald Trump drew an attention to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, to a Cleveland, Ohio brick and mortar charter school that usually escapes notice. Um, uh, according to the plain dealer, the school the Cleveland Arts and Social Sciences Academy was one of 27 schools in Colorado, uh, Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio that had recently been acquired by Excel Schools, a new for-profit network of charter schools owned and operated by Pansophic Learning. These are corporatized uh, school systems designed to maximize the, the profits of the school. So we've moved away from a philosophy completely of education. We've moved into a philosophy of profit. Um, yep. after, after Trump visits the school, it's been amassing an education empire in Ohio, according uh, to some journals. Um, so, uh, Yes, well, Bet that, Betsy DeVos, of course, when she was Trump's uh, Minister for Education, she really, really poured the money into these, into these places and uh, a lot of her friends made a lot of money. But um, it looks as if the, the Democrats are, are pulling the pin a bit. On this, is yeah, there any right. other any other um, interesting? Well, the, uh, yes, certainly. The Saudi nationals under under Kamal Bahamadan uh, has been appointed CEO of one of these investment groups, and uh, his relationship uh, is that he is putting money into KB Group Holdings, which is another one of these investment groups designed to um, make money out of these schools. He's a he's a banker. Um, he spent uh, 50 years as chairman of the uh, Saudi Commercial Bank. And these people are directly investing in, in these schools in order to make money. So they're rejecting anyone or anything that stands in the way of a profit. And that includes breaking um, teacher unions, cracking down on um, any uh, kind of um, public good if it costs them, costs them a dollar. Yes, well, this bank um, in 2020 had a problem with the US Treasury Department who accused the bank of violating US sanctions against Syria and Sudan between November 2011 and 14. So um, it's, it's really highly questionable what's really going on once you open the education industry to international profiteering, isn't it? Absolutely. So these are investor-driven uh, facilities, and um, they, they also invested in uh, private nursing homes and uh, prisons, prisons. Hmm. All, all sorts of things. Anything that would be basically farming the public dollar. Yep, it's it's rampant um, globalisation and capitalism, uh, which uh, we were we were aware of twenty years ago, but we're now reaping the profits. But um, Listeners, we're trying to tell you about all of this. It might seem a long way away in America, but America is becoming closer and closer as Mr Morrison appears to think that Australia is really the 51st state, uh, not a quite separate country with its own sovereignty. But we'll have a bit of a break now and um, we've got Sorrel to tell us a bit more about the Oakland matter and the broadies that um, Jeff has so kindly explain to us. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defense mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. 
Well, listeners, you're still listening to the DOGS program. And before the break, we had Jeff telling us about the charter school movement and a, a bit of history on what has happened in the United States, particularly with uh, so-called philanthropists like the Broadies. But down in Oakland, CA, uh, the people fought back against the Broadies charter school movement. And uh, when a public school was going to be closed and given over to the charter schools to make profits, um, they won. They won a settlement. So we're going to hear from Sol about this story. Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So on Thursday, September the 23rd at 3.30pm, Oakland Not For Sale will host a press conference for parent and teacher plaintiffs and their attorney, Dan Siegel. Obviously, this is in the past that they posted that press conference. Um, They hosted the conference to announce a six-figure legal settlement with the Oakland United School District, as well as plans to donate towards the fight against school closures and public school supporting board candidates in the 2022 election. OUSD school board member Mike Hutchinson will also be present. We have reached a settlement of our dispute regarding the school board's October 2019 meeting. We reached an agreement for a total amount of $337,500 in damages, said Saru Jayaraman, plaintiff in the litigation, Jayaraman versus OUSD. We're thrilled to be announcing not only this settlement with the district, but our ability to now give a six-figure donation to our fight to stop public school closures and support candidates who will fight the privatisation of the Oakland Unified School District. We're also thrilled that in the same moment, we can declare victory in that Kaiser Elementary, which we fought to keep public, will indeed remain a public facility. And we will build on these victories with resources to continue to fight all future public school closures. Our listeners might be might remember all of the battles that we had in the 1990s uh, with uh, Jeff Kennett when he closed so many of our public schools. And uh, some of them remained open. I think the most famous battle was the Richmond battle. But it's fascinating to see how so many of the schools they closed, like Fitzroy um, Secondary College and um, other colleges as well, have now been reopened because people came back. Uh, there was a movement of children and families back into the areas uh, where the schools had always been. But uh, the the same kind of thing is now happening in the United States. When a school's um, enrolment declines, these for-profit schools, the charter schools, are trying to get them closed and grab facilities. So this is what this battle for Oakland is about, and they won. And they not only won... They got some money out of it. It's a good story, isn't it, So It is. The settlement resolves litigation filed by the parents and teachers, many of whom are members of Oakland's Not For Sale, over police brutality at an October 2019 school board meeting protesting the proposed closures of Kaiser Elementary School. At the press conference on Thursday, parents and teachers will announce that they plan to make a six-figure donation to continue the fight against further public school closures and privatisation. They will also discuss their victory in keeping Kaiser Elementary a public facility. While it isn't exactly what we would have hoped, we're happy Kaiser is being used as a public facility for students and that we were able to resolve the litigation said Amy Haruyama, OSUD teacher, who is a plaintiff in the lawsuit, taught at Kaiser Elementary and now teaches at San Coffa United Elementary School. These actions come in the context of a long history of OUSD school board decisions to close 17 public schools, mostly majority black and brown schools, almost all of which have been replaced with charter schools. OUSD's history of closing schools and then allowing them to be replaced by charters has been driven by both the state of California, which retains trusteeship over OUSD, and by outside billionaire charter school advocates like Michael Bloomberg and Eli Broad. And we just heard about these people from Mm. here. Eli, um, Eli Broad and Michael Bloomberg, big billionaires, who thought that they were doing good, do-gooders, but in fact, 
um, they have a view of education as in some sense charitable, not a right for which we pay our taxes. Yes, a lot of problematic billionaires in the Bay Area. Yes. <laughs> Oakland Not For Sale was formed after the announcement that Kaiser Elementary School would become the latest in a long line of school closures that was intended for replacement by charter or private schools. After protracted peaceful protest by the parents, teachers and students, and despite police brutality as a response to this protest, the school board recently agreed to a public use for Kaiser Elementary. The school will house public early education. Well, thank you, Sorrel. That was a good news story. Sometimes if you fight, then you don't lose. You do, in fact, have a few wins. And uh, we got that story from the Diane Ravitch uh, blog, and you get some very interesting material. Diane, blog, uh, Diane Ravitch herself started off as being privatised and turned right around when she saw what was happening to public education in America. A very interesting lady indeed. Uh, so we'll have a, um, a bit of a break and um, we'll come back and Dale is going to tell us what's happening uh, to the, uh, the teaching profession. It's a very turbulent time for teaching at the moment. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year, your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Well, we're still in times of plague, uh, COVID times, whatever you want to call it. And here in Australia, uh, teachers are in the front line like nurses. And uh, they, in fact, are confronted with very turbulent circumstances. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, this is an article from uh, Teacher Magazine uh, from the New South Wales Teachers Federation. Uh, a wave of emotions preoccupied the minds of our rural members. On the Saturday afternoon, they learned they would need to deliver lessons in remote learning mode in less than two days' time. Members at Queen Bien West Public had worried about COVID, worried that COVID would leak into their community without a lockdown, women's contact Rebecca Kearns said. However, their sense of relief from the remote learning announcement turned quite quickly to a sense of panic and urgency to get our students' curriculum and ourselves ready to face home learning, she said. Well, you're talking about ACT teachers, aren't you? Here in Melbourne, we've been uh, in, in this business of remote learning for um, <laughs> how many days, how many months? Almost it's a year. Years, isn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they should have contacted our Victorian <laughs> teachers. Yeah. Uh, members were working all hours of the weekend after lockdown was announced to get prepared for Monday's online learning. We held meetings, we held online meetings, there were frequent emails and much discourse over that time to prepare to hit the ground running on Monday. Federal country organiser Ian Watson said members found the weekend of the announcement difficult. Members were understandably frustrated and annoyed by the lateness of the health orders. However, there was also an acceptance that remote learning was inevitable. Federation Workplace Committee member at Morura Public School, Narelle Pollock, said that during Term 2, several staff were allocated to organise print-off pack. The day after the lockdown was announced, teachers printed the booklets in preparation for parents to pick them up. Parents can't thank us enough for giving up our time so their children have learning to go on with. And the PNC were full of praise, Ms Pollock said. Braidwood Central School teachers had online lessons in our back pocket, women's contact Elisa Stevens said. They'd been preparing lessons on top of their regular teaching load when the school's executive asked them last term to be ready to go should a snap lockdown be called. 
Preempting the lockdown announcement of the next day, K6 students were given packets to take home just in case. Despite this, there was actually significant time required of teachers over the weekend to communicate with colleagues about the week ahead and to actually schedule tasks to go live on classroom, etc. Ms. Stevens said. The time demands on executive staff were additional with multiple Zoom meetings over the weekend. Batemans Bay Public School Federal Representative Beck Howard said that in anticipation of a lockdown announcement, a staff meeting and some release from face-to-face -face time was dedicated to home learning in week five. Parents were directed to online learn to the online learning hub for appropriate lessons for the first two days of remote learning, and teachers provided a matrix of lessons from the Wednesday. Country organised. I find this fascinating, don't you? Um, because uh, the, the, this is, uh, in fact, teachers in the ACT in in uh, Canberra discovering what it's like. But we're actually fortunate this afternoon. Uh, to have Jeff with us, and he's a parent whose child's been home for almost a year, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah, that's right. And um, I have to say, the teachers have done an excellent job. Um, yeah. We've we he, he, ours is, our young lad is in year seven. Last year is in year six. So we have experience of two schools, both pub uh, pro, uh, public schools, of course. Um, uh, and the North Melbourne Primary School did a superb job of keeping the children engaged. And the University High School, where he is now, is incredibly uh, resourceful, interested, engaged. The teachers are so talented. Uh, they have, a, against all difficulties, they have managed to throw together a, a really good, engaging curriculum. And my son is actually really happy sitting there doing his lessons. He knows what he has to do. He's got a schedule. He's a difficult boy. Uh, he, he likes to be told what to do at that age, and it's easy. Um, and as long as he knows what he has to do, he just has to look it up on the screen. It's but the, the sad thing, is, of course, is not seeing the friends. But apart from that, no complaints from us at all. Well, um, I think that perhaps some of the Victorian teachers um, should be up there in uh, in Canberra telling these teachers up there who who they've just it's just hit them what uh, the plague really means, uh, should be giving them a bit more uh, information. But um, I think we'll have a bit of a break and come back and find out how the schools in England are struggling. You know, it's quite confusing, the cultural heritage laws in this country, and that is of extreme concern to our people across this country. And, you know, not only the Japarong trees, there's Duke and Gorge, and there are a number of other sacred areas of extreme significance to our peoples across the country that are being, you know, because of the cultural heritage laws that are in place are, you know, not actually protecting our heritage at all. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03 9419 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Well, Sorrel, how are the teachers and students going over in England? Because they've opened up over there, haven't they? And yet they've still got a plague rushing around the streets. Yeah, so reopening of schools this month in the UK, funnily enough, is causing a surge in COVID cases. Schools in England are struggling to stay open in the face of increasing COVID infection rates amongst pupils, and many are using preventative measures abandoned by the government in an attempt to keep their pupils in classrooms. So this is happening all over the country in areas like Brighton and Northamptonshire. The rate of infection amongst school-aged children is spreading rapidly, while the rate amongst adults is declining, suggesting that reopening the schools this month is driving the increase. Makes sense. Um, the National Association of Head Teachers said school leaders are seeking advice on dealing with the outbreaks and have been the largest source of calls to the union in the past week. Schools have had to close. Many more have had to send groups of pupils home or reimpose restrictions that were in use last year. 
The National Association of Head Teachers says school leaders seeking advice on dealing with outbreaks have been the largest source of calls to the union in the past week. In Northamptonshire, the number of cases within schools and nurseries has jumped by about 115% in the past week. At the start of September, there was a daily average of 40 positive cases, but three weeks later, the daily average has risen to 190 staff and students. Um, in Hereford, a severe outbreak in the Kingston High School has caused the school to close. Uh, Scythians Community Primary School in Cornwall told parents it would close until the 4th of October after 46 pupils were absent, more than a quarter of its role. Uh, Cumbria Local Authority has advised parents that siblings of confirmed COVID cases will be allowed to stay off school as well. Additional measures follow figures showing that there were more than 100,000 children with confirmed or suspected COVID cases at state schools in England last week. Chris Whitty, the government's chief medical officer, has told MPs that it is a near certainty that unvaccinated children will catch COVID. I think, I think that this information is actually very important yeah. uh, for our, um, our teachers and parents and uh, children to know about. We're not, we're not finding this in our, mm. in, our, um, uh, in our papers at the moment, are we? Yeah. And yet we're under tremendous pressure to open up by the Morrison government. And um, um, un unfortunately they haven't just been facing uh, pressure from the government or from COVID, they've actually been uh, facing pressure from anti-vaxxers as well, um, reporting harassment and nuisance calls and protesting and threatening calls from uh, anti-vaxxers to their teachers, which we've been dealing with a bit as well. Well, we certainly live in interesting times, which is the Chinese curse. Well, um, we'll have a little bit of a break and Jeff is going to tell us the expensive truth about private schools and student learning. Uh, the private school's business model is in trouble, of course, without the international students. And um, there's a question as to whether or not people whose businesses have gone kaput uh, will be able to uh, afford their fees. Councils around the country will put on just Disability Day events and quite a few of them will not include people of colour, First Nations people and black people. So I think it's pretty cool that everyone you'll hear on air today will be a person of colour and the majority of them will be people with disabilities as well. I think when we were preparing for this show and for this day, we wanted to talk about how we could explain the concept of power from the margins and why it is that we've chosen to focus on black people, indigenous people and people of colour. And I think you know, in one word, it's intersectionality. It's the fact that people experience forms of oppression, different forms of oppression at the same time. And most people don't realise that you can't have racial justice without disability justice and vice versa. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419-8377. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Jeff, we're back with you. Um, how do you feel about uh, spending money on private school fees? I'm really glad not to. Uh, I'm really happy to put uh, uh, that money towards the children in other ways. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to pay taxes and have a good public school system. Um, 
so we'd like to go and talk about the uh, an article released by the Grattan Institute back in 2018, uh, uh, published through uh, Beatrice Ringrose uh, from the Grattan Institute. And it's called The Expensive Truth About Private Schools and Student Learning. Um, and it says, when parents shell out fees to send their children to private schools, they like to think they're getting many things for their money. So they may be surprised to learn that superior student growth in literacy and numeracy is not one of them. Uh, conventional wisdom holds that private schools generally perform better than government schools academically. Many parents believe they're purchasing a better education for their children by choosing a private school, but new Grattan Institute research suggests the, the conventional wisdom may be wrong. Yes, a, glance, a cursory glance at NAPLAN and achievement scores uh, show students at private schools are on average ahead of the students at government schools in numeracy and literacy, but NAPLAN achievement scores uh, at a point in time prove nothing about the standard of teaching in private schools compared to government schools. School Students at private schools in Australia are more advantaged because the parents are richer, of course, on average, than their peers in government schools, they have better educated parents with higher income. So it's no surprise they achieve higher levels of uh, results because uh, just not part of the article, but generally speaking, they find that, that results depend more on the socioeconomic group uh, that the children come from rather than uh, whether they paid for their education or not. Uh, the past three PISA reports, according back to the article, which is the OECD's International Problem Solving Test for 15-year-olds in 2015, 2012, and 2009, found all that one, all found that once student and school-level socioeconomic background are considered, there is little discernible difference between the achievement of private school students and government school students. The Grattan Institute's new analysis digs deeper. We examine the student learning growth over time rather than just achievement at a point in time. Student growth is, bet, is a better measure of how to, much to value, uh, how much value a school adds, because it indicates what learning takes place while students are actually at school. It shows how much kids are stretched to their potential, taking into account what they could already do at a given point of time. We look at the, the learning growth of students at government and private, that is independent and Catholic schools. We make comparisons on a like-for-like -like basis. We, that is uh, the Grattan Institute, uh, we compare schools with similar levels of advantage. This kind of analysis has only recently become possible. NAPLAN, the first standardised test in Australia, was introduced in 2008, which you know by our hero, Julia Gillard. So it is only for the past few years that we have seen the results of students all the way from year three to year nine. The results of analysis are clear. We find only very modest differences in student growth among sectors. At primary school, between years three and five, students in independent schools make similar rates of progress as students at government schools, while students at Catholic schools make slightly less progress. At secondary school, between years seven and nine, independent schools do only very slightly better than government schools, less than one month of extra progress per year. That is not to say that parents of private school students that you're wasting your money on those school fees. Think of the money that, that parents of the, the young man from St Joseph's College in who, who, who was behind uh, the uh, riots in Melbourne last week, thinking about how much they think that they've wasted their money. Um, yeah, that's the thought. That's the thought, <laughs> he, yeah. He, he, a lot of private school boys. Um, you, no no offence, fellas, uh, but, you know, a bit of, uh, a bit of public uh, thinking might be might be a good idea to show a bit of civic training and, and public health <laughs> training might be good. You're wasting your money on these school fees. Our analysis, focus, analysis focuses solely on student progress in numeracy and literacy. It does not examine other subject areas that may be of specific interest. Our analysis does not measure everything parents will be looking for their children to get from a school. The non-government school sector is very diverse. Many parents choose an independent or Catholic school for pastoral care, extracurricular activities and leadership opportunities, or for a very specific peer group and type of learning environment they believe is best for their child. So it's the, the old you know, boy network. The old yeah, boy network. The old, or the old girl network, network too, I suppose. Let's, 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 let's really put it there. Yeah, the it's the an stories old, we've heard about Mr Turnbull this last week. It's an old huge. people's way of thinking anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, because it's it's really those sorts of groups now are, are be, I think, becoming less and less important as, as people become more more fluid. They're still in parliament. Job opportunities change. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're still very much think they have a born to rule uh, right but anyway I digressed in my own little area of um, uh, yeah, let's, let's not go there <laughs> but our fundings debunk the idea that private schools do a better job of stretching students to their full learning potential core subjects and literacy and numeracy that's not the case it's not that school choices are relevant 
uh, it, it finds that there's differences between individual schools and students from some schools making consistently more literacy and numeracy progress than students at similar schools. It's just that once that student background is taken into account, high-performing schools are equally likely to be government or private schools. The lesson is clear. If you're thinking of sending your children to private school, guarantees they'll be making more progress in the classroom, think again. Now, just a bunch of kids uh, from Footscray and the Hyde Street Youth Band got together briefly for, uh, to produce a, a, a bit of a, a thing for, their, for the football. For the, now, the, the doggies didn't win. But the good news story with this is that um, the Hyde Street Youth Band, this is a bunch of brass band uh, from Footscray, as I said, um, looking for a home right now. Their the, 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 the current premises are lost. Um, they Even Julia Gillard liked this one. They sent it to her and she sent back a personal message. My son plays trumpet in this band, uh, so it's cheerio to Angus and all the kids from the Hyde Street Youth Band. Here's the, uh, the doggies with uh, Sons of the West. Street Band, Footscray, playing the Doggies theme song. Yeah. And um, cheerio for all band. those lovely children. Yeah, and they recorded that all on Zoom. Yeah, very clever. Amazing. Very, very clever. And clever, clever parents and clever uh, Philippa, who is their band leader. But um, we've got our great state school, haven't we? And uh, it's none other than the Hyde Street, Footscray, Primary School and Sorrel's going to tell us about it. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's Great State School is Footscray Primary School. Footscray Primary School is an international school implementing the Primary Years Program. At the heart of learning is inquiry and the development of young, curious minds that have a strong desire to grow. Now I'm going to read a short statement about Footscray Primary School, which was written by the principal, Jen Briggs. Footscray Primary School is such a unique and beautiful space in which to work, learn and play each day. Our heritage-listed buildings hold so much history and many mem memories of the generations of students that have grown and thrived at Footscray Primary School. We are fortunate to have large green spaces and enjoy established trees for children to enjoy, which is a rarity for an inner suburban school. In 2020, our school was allocated $18.2 million to increase our capacity with new learning spaces that will be ready for the start of the 2023 school year. 
I joined the Footscray Primary School team in 2020 and have been blown away by the strong sense of community that we continue to grow and nurture. Schools are the hub of community where we come together to connect and learn. Our community is dedicated and engaged and will lead many initiatives within the school and wider community. That's lovely, Jen Briggs. Uh, what she had to say about her school, she's clearly very passionate about uh, her job there. Um, this is some information about um, the Footscray Primary School from the My School website. This school in the inner western suburbs services some families with a generous income, but it is clearly much more representative of the Australian community than most private schools in the area. The school has approximately 427 students, 218 boys and 219 girls. Its ICSIA value is 1099 and 46% of its families have an income in the upper quartile or the 25th percent of the Australian community. 27% are from the second quartile, 15 from the third and 10 are from disadvantaged families. So I've got a good mix. There are 46% from non-English backgrounds attending this school and four Indigenous students. The Australian government provides only $905,508 and the state $3.58 million. The parents paid $404,000 in fees and raised $143,000 in 2020. The capital expenditure over the last three years is only $886,000. All in all, it costs only 11,659 per pupil to educate a child at this primary school. Their NAPLAN results are just fine. So why would a Footscray parent prefer to waste money on a local private primary school? Well, there you are. That's our program for the week. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed it and we do hope that you uh, uh back with us next week. If you want to find out more about all of that you've heard this afternoon, go to our website at www.adogs.info. And we have to make a special thanks to Jeff who came in to help us today and um, it's our time has gone so it's bye for now. Joe Hill last night alive.
Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he.